Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Chris Anderson, here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys improve their practice. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I am your host, Christopher Anderson. I'm a product manager at LexisNexis and a former practicing attorney in a small law firm in Athens, Georgia. I've been a prosecutor, corporate lawyer, and I've been speaking to attorneys across the country about operating and managing their law firms more like a business, including helping them get paid. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is the model rules for the modern lawyer, leveraging technology to follow ABA guidelines. And I'm really pleased to have Jeffrey Taylor as my guest on today's program. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. Jeffrey, just before we get started in talking about what attorneys can do to leverage technology, let's learn a little bit about you. What's your background in talking about this subject? Well, I'm a uh, small firm lawyer in Oklahoma City, and I've been practicing just over almost six years now. And I also, the my biggest claim to fame is my blog, thedroidlawyer.com, where I discuss Android operating system and mobile devices for the Android platform and give helps and tips for attorneys who are using Android. That's thedroidlawyer.com? That's correct. All right. So as we get started, you know, today's topic was, you know, how technology can help lawyers not just follow ABA guidelines, but I guess more generally, more effectively service their clients in ways that meet their obligations under our codes of conduct, professionalism, and the way they want to be lawyers. So let's start with the first question would be, what should lawyers know about the importance of technology in their legal practices? Well, I think the biggest thing that lawyers need to know is that the technology field is changing and it's no longer going to be something that you can just get by with uh, a basic understanding. You're going to need to know some in-depth processes and some technology uh, keys to help your practice become successful and also to meet the requirements of competency under the ABA rules. I think that Gone are the days of just understanding how to to send out a metamo on a by pushing a button, and if you don't understand how to manage software, how to use computers, how to use mobile devices, and other technology, there are going to be other firms that will take the place of where you were in the marketplace and continue to thrive and and also develop their skills and their market share. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think the ABA 2020 Commission, in fact, had a recommendation under Model Rule 1.1 on competence that no longer makes you need to be competent on the technology used, but to actually be aware of the available technology and to be competent enough to apply it when necessary. Would you agree? I would fully agree. I, I don't think there's a lawyer today that could practice and not be able to use the tools available you know, it used to be where you could you'd go to the law library and research cases or statutes. Most bar associations have adopted online research materials, and there are case research products such as you know Lexis and Nexus's products that are 
superior to to having to go pull the books off the shelf and and pull those down and and figure out where the cases are and what the what the statutes are. You can accomplish a lot more by by going online and getting onto the internet and and doing research. But you could also manage your practice a, a lot better that way too. So I don't think that attorneys are are going to be able to claim, oh, I'm not good with computers and still cut it in today's um, uh, environment and and under today's rules of competency. Yeah, and and I think it even goes beyond that, right? So if there's a question of keeping your client's data secure, you know, maintaining that confidentiality, maintaining privilege on being able to do quick and easy document review, not easy, but quick and thorough document review, or you know, doing any of the other things that enhance the services you can offer, you need to actually know about technologies you may not have known about before. Exactly, and and because of the rate with which we're improving technology, the the cost of doing some of these things is dropping tremendously each day. And so, things that used to be astronomical and and you wouldn't even consider part of the legal practice are now very much affordable for small firms solo firms and even big firms who have larger management budgets. So to not understand what's available and what's out there and hazards as well as benefits, I think is a, a great disservice to your clients, but also a verging on the, the cusp of negligence as far as a practicing attorney. Which, of course, brings us to the big issue, which is, there's like, like you just said, there's lots of new technology. The costs are coming down. But for an attorney that's you know practicing law and and keeping up with the law and keeping up with their the things that are happening in their clients' cases, what can they do to stay current on you know what what's new, what's just come out, what how can they better do it? Is there a place they can go to learn about this stuff without having to become experts themselves? Well, I think the best trigger is to follow technology gurus, for lack of a better word, that are on the internet. There are plenty of people that are that are talking about technology for lawyers. There are plenty of workshops and presentations. I just got back from presenting at the ABA Tech Show, which is a great place to, to see what's available from vendors as well as what people are doing, practicing lawyers and consultants are doing to further technology and use technology. And so tech events like that give you know lawyers a grip as to what's going on and and where they are. I also recommend that lawyers follow internet blogs. You can follow my blog. There are several others for iPhone. There's number four, you know, just about every operating system on the planet. And now most of the guys that are writing these blogs are are at the forefront of technology and understand where technology is going and shaping the environment. And I, and I think if lawyers follow that, you don't have to be a, an expert in the field. You've got these resources that are, are out there that are looking at this and seeing what's useful and what's available for attorneys. The Internet is a great place, and, and Google is a great place to just type in a few keywords about lawyers and technology and, and pull up 10 million results on that and spend the next five hours looking through what's going on. So like, for instance, yours, the droidlawyer.com. And uh, I think you also had a great tip, like ABA Tech Show, local state bars as well, the solo and small firm conferences as well as other uh, annual conferences, very often will have like a talk called you know, 90 
tech tips in 90 minutes or the best the best of the best or whatever which can give a broad overview and then knowing some of these blogs can help you stay in touch between those events yeah that's perfect you know a great other resource is twitter and following some of the guys on twitter and social media because they also publish their stuff and you can get quick blurbs and you don't have to you know, go fully in depth. You can see what's going on and, and dive in deeper if you want to. But I know a number of state bar associations that have practice management programs. So, you know, there are, there are resources within the bar association themselves that lawyers can go to. The ABA has a great legal technology resource center with articles and information. Yeah, I think those are all great. And I, I think I'd be remiss not to mention, yeah, since you said Twitter feeds, this network, the Legal Talk Network, has their Twitter feed at, at Legal Talk Net, another great resource. Um, mine is, of course, uh, at Firm Manager underscore CTA. And do you have one for the Android lawyer? Yep, it's uh, at Jeffrey underscore Taylor or at Droid Lawyer. So you can you know, follow the people that they're following and start building your list. And you could stay silent for the entire time and just get grasped with information that comes from, from their feeds. So let's get to some of the things that you recommend. Do you have some top things that you recommend attorneys should use every day? Well, I think every attorney, every firm needs to, number one thing is to have some sort of practice management software. A lot of attorneys and guys and gals will be using trying to manage their practice with Outlook or in binders or any number of ways. But the key thing, and I think it comes down to confidence, is knowing what's going on. It helps relate to the client. It helps relate to the to yourself and your firm, and it also helps relate with other attorneys. But the practice management software that ties everything together. It's, it creates contextual relationships that you can then use to project off and timelines, calendaring, docketing sheets, things like that that are so important. So I think, you know, number one, you got to have some sort of practice management software, and whether it's cloud-based up on the internet or whether it's a self-hosted system, every attorney should be using that. I often hear difference between case management and practice management software. Are those the same thing? For all intents and purposes, probably for the easiest way to say yes, case management is purely on the front end side managing the case. The practice management takes into account the whole system. And so most software systems have a practice management element, but they also have separate case management elements. And so you can manage just the docketing or the client information, but the full practice management is the trust accounting, uh, billing, accounts payable, things like that, that all correlate together. I think they all need to have that integral relationship that goes together. And without it, I don't think a lot of attorneys can effectively manage their their day-to-day operations and and effectively serve their clients. And you were talking a little bit about cobbling together your own, just just maybe using Microsoft Outlook to track your court dates and contacts and maybe keeping the practice management in some financial software. Is that adequate or is there a reason to have something more comprehensive? Well, Outlook handles email and contacts and calendar. 
it doesn't handle the relationship between the documents that you create, the emails that you send and receive, and when those are sent and when those are received. It doesn't handle associating that with client information. And so you, although you can create an outlook, you can create you know folders for each individual case, like the Smith case, and then save all your emails into that, there is no textual relationship that puts it together to say, this is related to the Smith case, and here's how it goes together. And then tying in your billing elements and the back office elements, such as where your expenses are going and where the information is going. So I think that attorneys definitely need to do something more than just Outlook. Outlook's a great program, but it needs to be coupled with some other separate system that can put the relationships together and tell you, you know, Client Smith has all these documents associated with it and all these calendar events associated with it. And then most new systems have developed ways to manage documents and then create documents from templates set up. And so it saves time and it saves money for the client and for the office itself. So when you started talking about it, you'd mentioned also that uh, you can have case and practice management software that's installed on servers and your computers in in your office, or you can have cloud-based or internet-based systems that do many of the same things. Which is better? I think it depends on what your firm wants. The cloud-based obviously gives you the ability to separate anything and in most cases access it from anywhere in, in that you have an internet connection. It also frees you from having to manage the system yourself. Similar to installing on a, on a computer at your office, somebody is sitting in a data center somewhere and they're managing that hard drive and making sure that hard drive gets backed up and making sure that computer system stays on and doing all the things that you would normally have to do. With a in-house based system, you have to install it on a computer and you have to provide the support and provide the backups and provide the information. The difference is people, some people want to keep that information to themselves and secure in their office, and some people want to put it out in the cloud and are fine with that. So if you're one who tends to say, I want everything, I want the control, then you probably want a a self-hosted or in-house system. If you're okay delving over and and giving control over to somebody else, then the cloud-based systems are all good. What you need to make sure, too, is that when you choose a cloud provider, that they provide security systems have appropriate terms of of use and privacy terms. Great. I actually want to dive deep into security and terms and conditions because that's a uh, definitely a passion of mine. Um, but so what we're going to do here is take a few minutes. We'll get back to that topic. Uh, let uh, our sponsors have a word. And then we'll come back and talk about security and some of the ethical implications of cloud computing. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. So we're back, and uh, we were about to talk about the security and ethical implications of doing case and matter management, doing practice management 
on the cloud. Um, so Jeff, let's, let's start right there. You, you, when we uh, went to break, you were talking about being sure to know that your cloud service provider is serious about security and that the terms and conditions are good. So tell me a little bit about what you should look for to make sure that your choice to go on the cloud is a good one for the confidentiality and security of your client's information. Well, every lawyer has a duty to maintain confidentiality of their client's information. Now, the extent to that that you you feel is necessary is going to be up to you, but you still have that duty. Just putting information out to a server somewhere or a, a cloud provider can lead up to certain risks and, and, and liabilities. What you want to look for is that their terms of use are clear, that they, they give out the information that they need to, and that they're going to provide you with notice of any subpoenas that are received, um, any information that's requested from the government as far as the law can allow. Now, we've seen a lot with the NSA recently and, and their spying tactics, and a lot of people are moving towards encryption. And if you can find an encryption storage place, that's awesome. So, you know, you want to look for those those features. The second thing is you want to make sure that they're using secure socket layers that are that are fully encrypted with at least 256-bit encryption, which is military-grade. And that means when you transfer your information from your desktop or you're, you're on the Internet and you log into your web browser, the information transferred between the two connections remains secure. How can someone make sure of that? How can someone make sure they've got the 256-bit SSL encryption? Most of the time, if you open up your Internet browser, for instance, in Chrome or Internet Explorer, if you open that up, it's going to say HTTPS, and that S stands for secure. And usually it'll have a little lock on it, sometimes green, sometimes yellow, depending on, on the type of security. But you want to make sure it's got that green HTTPS symbol that shows that it's a secure encrypted connection. The provider should also disclose that that's what they use when you look at their terms of service or, or their information. They should tell you, hey, we use 256-bit encryption with a whole bunch of numbers behind it that, that say it. And that just means, hey, we're keeping your data safe when you transfer it between us. You also want to investigate their protocols in their data centers to make sure that only particular people have access who are supposed to have access. Because the worst thing that could happen is you have some hillbilly from the side of the road that comes in and can have access to your data. And even though you've got a secure encryption, he's on the inside, stealing everything on the outside. But now lawyers don't have to uh, be experts at data centers, right? They don't have to understand or ask the questions about, you know, do you have good human resources policies uh, where you, you investigate? Are there some shortcuts? Like I've, I've seen on some websites things like the trustee certificate or SAS 70 type 2 or SSAE 16 type 2 certification. Are those some shortcuts lawyers can use to determine that people are doing a good job with this stuff? Those are some good indicators that they're doing your, the good stuff. My recommendation to everybody is you want to, if you can, talk to somebody at the data center or talk to somebody at the customer service to to get the information. You don't have to understand or actually physically visit that, that center, but my recommendation is to know what's going on. You're doing diligence and determining the information, and if you're going to put it out there this in the cloud, then you better know 
have kind of an understanding of what kind of encryption they're using. You don't have to understand the algorithms that go into place to make it go, but if they, if you see that, you know, that green key up there or that lock up there that says, hey, we use this type of encryption, you can start moving towards, hey, this is, they're doing what's right, at least starting to the process, and then you can further investigate. You don't need to be the expert in how it's done but you do need to have some understanding of what they're using and how they're using it to, to get the information. That's my belief. Great. And how does this impact our ethical obligations? Like with the, these things that we're talking about, how do they, how does that relate to the ethical obligations of the attorneys who are uh, putting their client's data in the cloud? Well, I think if you're sharing somebody's personal information out in the cloud, then you need to be, that's part of that confidentiality requirement. You need to be maintaining that information in the most secure and safe ways as possible and doing what's necessary to make sure that nobody is going to use it in, in an improper way or without particular purposes that you haven't authorized. And that comes to understanding and knowing and investigating that provider that you're going with. So whether it's you know, Lexus with Firm Central or whether it's a house-based system uh, such as tabs, you need to understand what information you're getting out and how that's going out there to get it into the cloud. Um, it also in, implies, you know, a lot of people use Dropbox. A lot of people are using Google Drive. Microsoft has their their system. So you need to understand if you're putting the information out there and it's what information is being sent and how it's being delivered. And whether it is LexisNexis for a manager or, like you said, Google Drive or something like that, you did mention terms and conditions. I think the other thing that uh, lawyers need to look at probably is also the privacy policy, which lays out what those people are allowed to do themselves. So, so you were talking about security, but sometimes the privacy policy also indicates what the vendor is allowed and not allowed to do with that data. That's correct. And I think that's almost as, if there was a one-two as to the most important things that you check when you, when you're investigating a vendor is that you, you start with the privacy policy and see how they're going to use your data and when you provide it. And if they're, if they're going to share it, and a lot of people complain about Google and the scanning, but if they're going to share it or if they're going to scan it and you're not comfortable with that, then you probably need to go with somebody else. But they should lay out how, how they respond to subpoenas. How do they use your data? Who has access to the data when they use it? And when they're given the data, what happens inside the, the storage center and, and, most privacy policies will outline any encryption or security methods and procedures that they use to to protect you when you when you put it out there. Great, yeah, that can't be overstated. I've seen just in reviewing some of the consumer oriented document sharing and other sharing services. Sometimes what's in those terms and conditions can be uh, shocking, to be too quite honest, and not in keeping with obligations under the model rules. That's exactly right. And, and once you see something that you feel comfortable with, then it's up to you to adjust your comfort level. But if they're not disclosing what they're doing and you're not comfortable with what you see on the page, then it's time to move on to some other provider or, or look at another method to go. The worst thing that you could do is sign up for something that you don't feel comfortable with, continue to use it, and then have some disaster happen because you didn't understand what was going on. I still think it comes back to the attorney to understand and appreciate the risks and the rewards of cloud computing and to go and adjust their comfort levels accordingly. 
Yeah, and I think that leads to something that I always like to do when we have a conversation about security. When we start to identify all the things that could go wrong and all the things that uh, they really do need to, and I totally agree, need to look out for, I think it also bears mentioning that to a large extent, most of these services, if they do at least a decent amount of due diligence, are way better than the security they're providing on their own office. That's my number one point exactly. I think that... In fact, I've written a, a couple of little art articles on my blog about that because I think you can set your security up and, and probably have as much you know as you want. But I think that Google, Lexus, you know, and other providers are adhering to the principles and doing much better than say some a solo guy or a small firm guy who's trying to manage the IT and manage his law practice or her law practice. You just can't understand it all and you can't prepare for it all. And so at some point, I think that you have to handle some of that off to a more knowledgeable and experienced person and give them, once you feel comfortable, give them that, that authority to maintain that aspect. And I think that's it's maintaining a level of confidence, too, that's required under the model rules, that once you understand that you're not competent in an area, that you get assistance. And so some of the, the providers, most of the providers that I know of, in fact, all the ones I know of that are providing cloud-based law practice management software are doing what's necessary to protect the, the attorney's client data and implementing security protocols. Yeah, I mean, some of these are multi-million, in fact, a few multi-billion dollar companies who have a lot at, at stake to uh, make sure that this data is protected, right? Exactly. And and you also got to realize, and part of putting your stuff in the cloud, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, is to talk to your law practice carrier, your your insurance carrier, because as we saw with Target, as we see with a number of different places, even the best systems in place are still susceptible to attacks and since attorneys carry a huge amount of client data and important client data, it's important that you know you at least back yourself up on the insurance side as well and, and get a, either a rider or get that written in your policy to, to cover you know, cloud-based computing and identity theft risks. So let's turn a little bit and look at what technologies can be leveraged. What can attorneys do to do a better job um, in their billing practices and in being good stewards of their clients' funds? Well, I think we talked about the case management or practice management software, and I think that that, that gets you a, a good spot to put the information. The great thing about a practice management software is it coordinates your billing, your trust account, and your client information all in one little compact package that associates together. And so, you know, on your Smith file that when you bill 20 hours, it's going to transfer that. And it's also going to recognize that, that the Smith file put down a $5,000 retainer or whatever it is. And so those will go hand in hand. And having that relationship is, is important. Again, you can also do document management. So I think a lot of attorneys would benefit from having that document management and being able to account for the information that's coming into their office as well as the information that's going out. And that, uh, that associates with financial accounting too because having a good accounting practice and you know, most lawyers aren't accountants, but having that accounting practices to understand 
how trust accounts work and how operating accounts work and how they interplay with each other is an important aspect of any good practice management system and, and maintaining client funds and that kind of security. Great. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. So Jeffrey Taylor is our Oklahoma City attorney and also the author of the droidlawyer.com blog. I thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today, Jeffrey. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. So that wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour of the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Again, my name is Christopher Anderson, and you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.